Hustle. This is Rick Messer, your host and my co-host here with me is Anthony. Hello. Hello. Today we have, uh, well, I guess he's a pretty special guy. Pretty special guy. <laughs> uh, special guest. Uh, we, we're with today a, a guy named, named Travis. Um, he is a guy so nice they named him Swice Good. <laughs> this is Travis. Oh, we got we got Travis twice. Good. Yeah, I rehearsed that like a hundred times. You were saying that in the shower yeah, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> God, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, Travis. What's up, man? I think I'm going to change my bio to get apparently just a really special guy. Really special guy. I'll attribute it to you. Okay. I would I would appreciate that. <laughs> uh, dude, who are you? Who am I? Who, uh, who is Travis Weissgood? Um, I am a pretend triathlete. Okay. We'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> um, that, no, I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I play one on the weekends um, when I'm not trying to get over colds. Mm-hmm. The, uh, no, uh, I am a developer turned designer turned managery, leadery type person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can dive into any part of that you would like. I guess I could start at the beginning and. Well, why don't you just tell us a little up. bit about your background and what you've been doing in the recent years and um, what, you, what you're working on now? Okay, uh, self-taught programmer. Uh, standard, like started in high school playing with my parents' computer. Nice. Um, it was a 486, so I came into the game late. It's not like I can say, "Oh yeah, I was programming on a C64 when I was five years old." <laughs> um, none of that. Uh, but started playing on the computer. It was a toy, and then I was like, "Well, how do I make this toy do other things?" Right. Um, Got into uh, programming, uh, doing web design and development back when there really wasn't a difference. You did web stuff, mm-hmm. um, so you would do the design and the uh, development. Um, and gravitated more towards the back end as that started to split into more of a uh, defined discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, spent about a decade doing that um, and was constantly trying to take into heart the pragmatic programmer's tip on like learning a new programming language um, every year. So mm-hmm. I've been like constantly learning new things, trying to expand uh, the knowledge I brought to any project I was working on and hit a point where it was like, okay, I can pick up a new programming language and be like functional, not doing it expertly, but functional in it in a, in a week or two. Mm-hmm. So it's not like really sitting down and spending a year learning a new programming language is going to be that valuable to my career. Did you learn Cold Fusion? No, when I started, I actually did some stuff with Cold Fusion, but I ended up going the PHP route uh, nice. back in the day. Nice. Um, but I remember Cold Fusion back before it was Adobe Cold Fusion. Yeah. I saw, actually saw a Twitter poll yesterday. It was like, what's the worst programming language ever created? And it's a couple of things. Uh, but they said Adobe Cold Fusion. And I'm like, if you only know Cold Fusion as Adobe Cold Fusion, I don't think you get to vote on this. <laughs> like, you don't have the context of the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, when, so when I was trying to figure out like what to learn next, uh, design was a thing that like I had done some very rudimentary design uh, early on in my career, and decided that I wanted to uh, focus on that and spend some time. So every designer that I would run into, whether it was a tech meetup or a, a conference or something else, if I could get their ear for a couple minutes, like mm-hmm. okay, I. I know nothing about this. I know what good design is. Like I can look and say, yeah, I like that. That looks good. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. What do I need to learn to do that? Um, and started picking up some skills uh, so in self, that space. So self-taught design as well. Yeah, although I wouldn't. I, I still have a hard time classifying myself as a designer. I've mm-hmm. definitely ingrained a lot of the uh, thought process that goes into it. 
Um, and recognize as I was going into it that a lot of the thought process that goes into good design is the same thought process that goes into good development. Mm. So as a developer, you're designing. It's just what you're inter- or what you're designing is interfaces for code, how code works together, how everything is orchestrated together. Isn't the definition of design just something like in, in the intent of organizing? Things basically, or something like that. I don't know if it is, but I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Intention, you know, and and, and, and also, it, it's everything is designed, whether it's yeah, you know, intentional the, or not. It's like yeah. a bad chair, a good chair, bad mm-hmm. experience, good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing when I started looking at design, and especially going back to the original stuff. It was like here, focus on typography. What was it? I think it's thinking in typography was a book that was recommended to me, and I started reading that and getting some ideas, and I was like, the way that they're approaching this is the same way that I approach deconstructing a, a programming problem. Um, so it was interesting to have had a foot so long into the development world and then come into the design world kind of with like, a, okay, complete novice, how do I learn how to do this? And then see things that could transfer. I don't know if I would have been able to have done that if I would have gone a year or two into my career as a programmer and then said, okay, I'm going to learn how to design. I don't think I would have had that high-level context. But because I had gotten to the point where I could see the forest for the trees when I started looking at different programming languages and I could pick things up relatively quickly... I was able to approach design sort of a similar fashion yeah. Um, and think about it. Okay, what's the overarching concept here? Not like how do I do X, but why do I do X? So how, how do you feel about uh, designers that uh, don't necessarily have the ability or interest in getting into engineering? Do you mm. feel fine about them? Do you feel like, dude, come I mean, on. I think it's their loss, Yeah, um, but I'm not... The whole Is thing it? that was going around a couple of years ago around the like everyone needs to learn to program. Um, I think that I, it the, wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it's yeah. still going. Well, <laughs> I, I've seen some pretty good takedowns on the uh-huh. the, the programming side. Um, uh-huh. Most of it focuses on you're never going to be an expert, so why learn? Which I think is a horrible way of looking yeah. at the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm never going to be a pro triathlete. Like it's just not going to happen. But I still enjoy it, and I get something out of that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's value in me doing that. Um, even if you're not going to be a professional programmer, I think learning how to think like a programmer. Like I don't think I'll ever sell myself uh, and be at a job where my primary responsibility is a designer. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not a visual designer. Like that's that's the part of design I'm horrible at. Right. Um, UX, uh, the uh, information architecture, the more almost engineering focused things of design is what I. That's the areas I gravitated towards when I started looking at it. I wouldn't consider myself an expert in any of them, uh, but that was the areas that like naturally fit with what I was able to do. Awesome. Um, but I think still focusing on the graphic design and kind of trying to understand it and understand where they're coming from uh, made me a, uh, a better developer for sure. Sweet. Um, and I, I think expanding your skills regardless of what it is, even if you're learning to juggle, is a good thing to yeah. make you a more well-rounded person. <laughs> so should designers juggle? Would you say they should... Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that all designers, all designers, all designers should like it, that. Should be one of your new interview process, uh, questions. First thing, here's three beanbags. Juggling for me. This is uh, no, this is make or break. Okay, <laughs> we're going to decide whether how much time we need for this interview. Is it five minutes, or are you going to spend the day with us? <laughs> if he drops it right away. You're just done. Yeah. It'd be hilarious to see a look on people's face when they're like, "Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a real." Thing. Yeah, if you could sell it right, it would be pretty fun. Yeah. No, um, no, seriously. Just let's see you go. Like one, two, three. <laughs> but by the same token, there is some value in like putting somebody in that like uh-huh. borderline awkward situation um, where it's something that they can't do. Are they going to ask like, well, how, I don't know how to juggle? Yeah. So, okay. Well, what, what's yeah, your next so step? What's their approach? Would they say, show me, show me how to? Yeah. 
Show yeah. me how to juggle. Yeah. Like I th- you could turn this into something that's, that could actually be really <laughs> useful in telling and how they approach problems. I, as a, somebody who's interviewed uh, scores of developers, um, the technical problems that I like asking um, are not the like brain teasers that you learn coming out of a CS program or something like that. It's more the like, how do you think? I want to I want to throw something at you. One of the best questions I ever got when I was being interviewed was a question that right up front I was like, "That's a language I don't know." Yeah, um, and he's like, "Okay, well, do you understand the concept?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, well, "Can you explain it to me?" I tried explaining it to him. He's like, "Yeah, that's that's the basic concept." Now, how would you implement that? And we spent about probably about 30 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and I was implementing Java's array iterator interface. Um, did not program in, in Java. I knew what an array was. I knew what an iterator was. And I could ask him questions, well, what about this? And he would answer back and forth. And he just wanted to see how I would approach a problem that he yeah. knew I probably didn't know how to solve. Wow. And at the end of it, between that back and forth, I was like, okay, so how does this work? And he's like, yeah, that was the first implementation of Java's array uh, iterator. There are some problems in it, but we found that out after... Like we did that as a language in a community. So was so, it like an unsolvable problem or something? It, it wasn't an unsolvable problem, but it was one that I didn't know the answer to going into. And he wanted to see how I would so think. So he asked feet. you to ju- juggle uh, code, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, man. I mean, it was nerve wracking. Here I was sitting in front of a guy um, <clears throat> at Ning who had built out their, uh, had designed and implemented their document database back before there were document databases. I slightly offended him a little bit when I said when he was describing I was like, "Oh, so it's like CouchDB or Mongo." And he was like, "Yeah, except we did that 4 years ago." Oh, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of interrupted you with the juggling question. You were talking about how you got into design. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk to designers. Yeah. Talk, I mean, ask questions. Yeah. Um, throughout my uh, career as a developer, as a designer, asking questions are the things that have moved me forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the community and design and development are the same in this way. Uh, both community, if you're involved in something like you're going to the Dribble Meetup or you're going to Refresh, you've already self-selected into a group of people that are passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood that they want to talk about what they're doing is pretty high. So asking them a question and being genuinely curious in their answers, mm-hmm. um, most people talk your ear off like that. Yeah, true. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're, where you're working and what you're doing right now? Um, I'm actually uh, in between things. I'm going to be uh, starting at Condé Nast uh, next week. Um, yeah. Uh, Here in Austin, which is a big deal, I think. For yes. Austin. Yeah. Condé Nast is opening their first uh, remote office that is not like we purchased Pitchfork. We purchased Wired. Um, they have an office in San Francisco. They have an office in Chicago. Uh, they have an office in London. Um, but this is the first time it's like, okay, we're going to set up an office uh, somewhere. Uh, and they're setting up a big engineering team. We're going to be hiring 20 to 25 people Whoa. this year. Um, and the plan is to be 60 plus in three years. Wow. So Amazing. Yeah. I'm uh, so, pretty excited so about this. For, sorry, but for people like me who didn't know what <laughs> that company did until you told me, yeah. um, they do. So Condé Nast is a magazine uh, company for the most part. Uh-huh. Uh, you can think of it as a lifestyle. Uh, they do. Uh, they publish the magazines that you probably heard of: The New Yorker, uh, Vogue, Style, GQ, uh, Condé Nast Traveler. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of uh, the more high-end lifestyle magazines. Cool, awesome, man. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, um, and also Wired, which is yeah. Wired and Ars Technica are two of the. The tech properties of Condé Nast. That's awesome. Um, and they, had, I'm not sure the exact uh, structure. They own a controlling or significant part of Reddit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Reddit is in the Condé Nast office. I remember a few years ago seeing a, uh, somebody tweet out a photo of an internal memo that had been sent around, and it, it was at the Reddit offices, and it was like, just to remind everybody, we do have a dress code, and pants are required in the offices. <laughs> Apparently, some of the Condé Nast people were coming out to the Reddit offices in San Francisco, and they wanted to remind everyone they needed to be wearing pants. Wow. <laughs> in, man. So, slightly different uh, vibe than like uh, the New Yorker style or right. something like that, or Vogue in uh, the World Trade Center Tower, where they have like twenty. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that sounds like a pretty different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Am I completely off base here? But at one point in time, did Condé Nast own Razorfish? Or am I just um, like? Am I just like? Am I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure on that. I'd have to look it up. Hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's exciting, man. Um, it seems yeah. like a great place for you to be able to put all those things together, right? In yeah. Engineering and design and the things that you are good at in design in the editorial publishing space and who knows what you're working on. It sounds like a great intersection of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be fun to get back into the uh, media space. I spent some time in the various jobs that I've, I've had over the years. I spent about three and a half years at the Texas Tribune here in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, which for listeners that don't know, it's a, uh, a born digital politics and policy uh, paper uh, that was uh, focusing on Texas uh, state government. And uh, I got out of that, and it's great to be able to go back in and work on uh, the platform that they're building out um, and do it with a team that's expanding and has big expansion plans. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's always fun to be like, okay, come in and build a team for us, please. Mm. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good opportunity. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about. Uh, Man, the does. Tell me, tell me what you think of when you think of a product team, a product team, right? So maybe we can just get get into um, the way engineering works with um, w- with design and how it seems to be kind of evolving these days, um, because that's something that you know at Fun Size we talk a lot about, care a lot about, have a lot of uh, strong opinions on. So uh, when you think of you know, a, a product team, uh, what do you think of? Like, um, like an ideal product team, sure. uh, somebody that you're going to have somebody on the team, regardless of whether that's an engineer, a designer, or a, uh, a product manager, or mm-hmm. somebody on the business side, somebody that owns the product and the vision is moving that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then designers, developers, uh, as many as you need of each, um, but no more. So I think keeping it uh, small. If you've got uh, the right combination of three or four people, I think that's perfect. Mm. Um, when you start getting much more than six or seven, to me, that's too big of a team. I heard someone phrase that like the team shouldn't be more than a two pizza team. If you have, if you have to order more than two pizzas, this team's probably too big. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. That's interesting. This is a, a, a one and a half uh, pizza team. <laughs> But what is what is what does that mean exactly? Like per feature on a product or something? Or I think that's really like it's 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 hard to break down and say universally this is the correct way of doing it. Uh-huh. Um, so like inside Condé Nast, they have a couple of teams um, that are focused on the bigger brands. Like the the New Yorker has a product and engineering team that's all inside the New Yorker mm-hmm. as a vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are three or four. Um, that are dedicated solely to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
So I think it really depends on what it is you need. For them, their mission is like move everything of the New Yorker forward. Like um, we have a team that we've already started building out here in Austin around uh, the user platform. Um, so analytics and things like that of, as, of users as they move across all of the various sites. And uh, um, that's initially is like, okay, well, how do we, what do we build for tracking and things like that and keeping track? What information do we want to store? So when somebody comes to Condé Nast Traveler and then they show up on the New Yorker, we can use that to better that experience. Um, but uh, I think it's hard to say that it's not like this you should have a product team every time you're going to do a sign-up form or every time you're going to roll out a new article page or every time you're going to roll out an entire new brand. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of depends on how narrow can you make it, do you want to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why do you think it is that um, engineering, ha- you know, uh, I don't know what your, the Agile Development m- Manifesto uh was written, um, I want to say it was like the 90s. 99. 99, okay. Um, so why is it taking like design so long to adopt that mentality that engineering has, has been able to do? Iterate quickly, um, release more often, don't work in a waterfall process that you know keeps you headed down one road for a year two years sometimes yeah. and then release and then find out what you did wrong. Why Why would you think um, it is that uh, it's taken us so long as designed to adopt that mentality as well? Man, um, I don't know. That's a really hard question to answer. It is, um, yeah. I think Maybe it's the, unfair. <laughs> um, I think on the, the development side, uh, like engineers, especially those that are familiar with Agile and doing small A Agile, I don't want to say big A Agile or extreme programming or Scrum or any of those, um, but like small a, uh, small a Agile as the Agile manifesto laid it out, um, I think some of the fault lies at their feet because it was like, okay, we want to involve everybody mm-hmm. um, rather than have the business person that comes in every two weeks or every month or every three months and says, yeah, you're doing great after we've built all these features. We want them there, if we can, in the chair next to us saying, right. yeah, we should be working on this. Right. Um, why we took that to the business side and didn't involve designers, I have no clue. I think I had a hypothesis about this um, I can't remember who I was discussing this with. That's the thing about going to like conferences and all the events. You never can remember who you were talking to because there's so many conversations. But anyway, um, we were sort of proposing that maybe because, you know, before like engineering is actually a relatively new, like code wise, it's a lot more like relatively new um, discipline. So they, have not been carrying the weight of, of of centuries of a medium like design has like visual design um you know it goes back in in it's crossed many mediums um you know think of print think of television think of even you know before that any type of design um and so there i guess that it just seems like it's like an because design is like an older Discipline, maybe um, not that engineering, uh, you know, as a concept isn't older, yeah. but I, I could definitely see that. I mean, plus, I mean, if you think about it, um, those that went to design school were taught if you're going to design something, you're going to follow this really rigid yeah. process. Right. Imagine yourself at a Swiss design school mm-hmm. and and showing like delivering your work half done, you'd fail. Yeah. Right? Like because you point. didn't like 
go through the whole process. And I, I think some of it might be that. I think also some of it might be uh, designers' resistance to wanting to wanting to show, uh, lift the hood or open the kimono a little bit to like, you know, show what's going on and yeah. imperfect stuff. I, or could it also be because like design almost didn't really have a seat at the table and yeah, you know, for that's a, a, a good while, point. you know, like it was yeah. just polish and art for a yeah. while. Yeah. yeah. That's I, a think, good point. I think there, that you're hitting on two things there. I think part of it is there's a lot of vulnerability um, in opening yourself up to, okay, this is kind of the direction I'm moving in. It's not done. We can't have the final critique, but um, this is where it's going. What do you think? What, what adjustments would you make? And getting somebody that's involved in that process. I think there's also a lot of overhead on the business side of like understanding that process and understanding what is a valid critique and what is not. Um, like, I don't like this color. Okay, well, we're not really to that point right yeah. now. This is just yeah. kind of a placeholder. Yeah. Um, or I wanted color and this is all black and white. Well, yeah, because we're like still coming up with ideas on what the color scheme is going to be. That's a good point. It's a lot easier for basically anyone to judge design, especially early. Mm-hmm. Um, very difficult. You got to have somebody who's an expert or at least up, up to par on code to be able to look at something and say you're doing you're on the right path or you're not on the right right path like engineering wise so it's a lot more difficult um there's just so many weird things that happen subjectively in another person's mind when they see a design early on so mm-hmm. there's that that I'm sure that has you know added to we don't want to show until like everything is perfect yeah. you know well, I mean developers don't want to show a half done project either sure um uh, I spent some time uh, this last year as the campus director here at the Iron Yard and uh, working with students as they go through that and they work on their final projects, getting them comfortable with the idea of, okay, like, yes, it's not going to be the thing that you envisioned two and a half weeks ago when you started on this journey, but look at all the things you've done. It's so yeah. easy to focus on the negative space um, and get caught up in that. Um, and I think this is just something that's that's uh, wired into our brains, like hardwired at this point. Um Evolutionarily speaking, doesn't matter how many good things happen to you during the day, mm-hmm. the one bad thing might have killed you. Yeah. Um, it might still kill you. So you still yeah. need to be thinking about it. Yeah. Um, if you ran into a lion five minutes ago and took off running, that lion's possibly still chasing you unless one of your buddies is his meal right now. Yeah. Um, so I think just evolutionarily, our brains have selected to that point where we focus on the bad things more than we do. Uh, the good things, and that kind of comes back to the vulnerability of like, hey, I want to show something that's not done. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, maybe that's it. Now yeah. we've turned the podcast into a evolutionarily <laughs> evolutionary biology. Podcast. Well, it's it's also really it's got to be chaotic for a lot of let's say traditional graphic design or web design agencies who used a process for so long and it worked so well. Mm-hmm. "Quote unquote," well, it worked. <laughs> that it, it worked, right? Yeah. And they they learned how they staffed against it. They build, they structured proposals against it, and then to see the market now changing, where people do realize now, and you know, and I want to get your insight on what happens when people actually do really embrace this and get everyone at the same table sitting next to each other. But it's really just, it's really hard, mm-hmm. like to like completely forget about everything that you were trained and everything that you knew. Yeah. And um, and do it differently, uh, also. And I think that's why so many development shops say they do agile, um, but it's just waterfall that's chaotic. Um, <laughs> they're not actually 
I like see. Bil- I feel like that is pretty common. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's hard to really change the way fundamentally change the way you think about the way the world exists. Um, and when everything you've done is okay, we we gather requirements, we do some sort of design, whether that's actual visual design with designers or an architect architecting the system, then we hand it off to somebody to build, then we test it and do any QA and fix all the bugs that we found, and then we deploy it and everyone is happy. Like it's hard to to break that cycle. Um, I mean, to some extent, basically, a, a lot of agile and implementation is just that big cycle that I talked about broken down into a two-week chunk. So it's mm-hmm. two weeks of waterfall. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, humans are creatures of habit. It's really hard to change. Yeah. Understatement uh, of the day today. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when, when people do, are able to, uh, you know, break down those barriers a bit, I mean, you get the best work. Because like you said mm-hmm. earlier, like, whether you're an engineer or a front-end developer or designer, you've chosen to care about this thing that you're working on. So if you get if if everyone's there, regardless of what flavor you are, you're more bound to have a better product, right? Instead yeah. of just deliver working in a void and delivering it over the fence. Yeah. yeah. No, I always want to be working with people that are passionate about uh, what it is that they do. Um, and I think every project that I've ever worked on that's had people that are really passionate about the area that they specialize in, it's always been better. Um, they've always made some contribution. Um, and it's that, that thing, you could end up with somebody going off into a room and, and developing something or designing something and come back with it, and it's going to be great for the way that person thinks. It's going to fit their brain. Um, but you take that and you put three people in a room, um, it's not going to be something that any one of those people can lay complete claim to, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be better because it's going to be the sum of all of theirs. Any one of them could have produced their 100%, um, and while it might not be the 300% of, of three people together, it's still going to be 200% or 250% of what any one of them would have done. Yeah, um, that's true. It's just the extra context. The, I mean, this is the 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 challenge of the the current year. Uh, thinking of to politics in uh, the U.S., like the fact that everybody doesn't think exactly like you think, and everybody doesn't have the exact worldview that you have, uh, really makes it hard to get anything done. And you have to you have to be willing to embrace that that those differences in order to make something good, whether it's software or a product or um, a government. Yeah, I was always really actually. I know we're saying it's hard to adopt, you know, like kind of how your brain normally thinks about it. But once I sort of realized what the benefits were of using <clears throat> more of an agile approach, more transparent, show the process as you go uh, with design, I was very relieved because I thought it was it was just so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're working, you're working for a long time without showing something and you're nervous like the whole time you want to get it right, you don't want to make a mistake, you don't want to make an assumption that's that's wrong and then you, you know, after you spent all this time, you sort of like reveal it and then you know, uh sometimes it crashes and burns. <laughs> yeah. Uh and that sucks. I hate that. So I love, you know, working with our clients and you know, we have a lot of really lightweight touch points, but people are generally seeing design like every day. Um, and that makes me feel a lot 
more confident in the decision, the design decisions that I'm making because I know I don't have to wonder about that. I'm sort of like, I understand that we are in alignment with the direction that's going mm-hmm. and that we're all sort of like, yes, we're trying these different things, we're iterating. Yeah, yeah if the it's human, like a relief. If the human brain is wired in the way we talked about and you're thinking about, oh, well, how's my designer or developer doing on a day-by-day basis? Imagine what, what a human brain thinks if they are waiting weeks or months for that first deliverable. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just the trust and the fear and the anxiety and yeah, I mean, there, and there's two sides to that. Like Rick was saying, uh, if you're the designer designing something or you're the developer developing something and you go off and go work on it, it's right. almost like you put up a dam and mm-hmm. the water is just catching up behind it. And it's mm-hmm. just more and more yeah. and more pressure mm-hmm. uh, until you finally are able to say, okay, here's what I've worked on, um, yeah. and then you don't know. I mean, the, the the key point to Agile is just having uh, the shortened feedback loops. Exactly. Uh, uh, this comes to something y'all were talking about recently on one of the podcasts about um, uh, user testing and how does that fit in, mm-hmm. um, like testing in general. If it's not user testing in the the technical sense or the the formal sense, but by saying, okay, here's something a concept we're working on. This is the direction we're taking it. Do you think we should course correct? Um, does this is yeah. this where you thought we were going with right. this? Um, it's giving you that little bit of feedback so you can make smaller adjustments instead smaller of smaller adjustments as you go, yeah. rather than yeah. And it gets exactly. all the people in the right conversations. I mean, you know, being being able to have engineering and design and product management in the, in the first meetings yeah. as opposed to the last meetings, like actually steers the project in a better way. Yeah, like you know, being able to collaborate with engineer like every day versus like in the last part of the project or whatever. I mean, just get better work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've worked on. Uh, I've come into some uh, legacy projects uh, where there'd be somebody they were working on it, and they were kind of just here's the general direction we want to go, and you're like, all right, I got it, and go off and work on it. Um, and then you come in a year later, and you're like, okay, this doesn't do what we originally talked about at all. It's completely off course. And he was like, oh, but and then it starts backing up how he did it, mm-hmm. and you look at it, and you see logically how he got from his point A to point B, but not to point C, which is where everybody thought they were going. Right. Because every step along the way. Every day there's a hundred little decisions, and if you're off a tenth of a percent on every one of those, every yeah. one of those decisions compounds just enough to push you way up. It's you're the trajectory. The it yeah. just keeps going further and further this way. And over, like the the thing that is the real killer is the the amount of time that you're going in that trajectory before yeah. you have a touch point to. St- Stopping course correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Correcting that tenth of a percent that was off mm-hmm. when it's a tenth of a percent is Not something else. But once that's become 10, 15, 20, yeah. 30 percent off to the side, now it's like, okay, do we really want to like build our way back over to where we're where we thought we were going, or do we want to just scrap this and say, you know what, sunk costs, we've already paid it, lesson learned, let's try it again. Right, right. Which is where so many projects end up with the idea of, yeah, okay, just scrap this, let's start over. It's interesting too on the agency side, and we talk about this a lot. But I remember when I worked in behavior in New York City, a lot of the work we did was editorial design for like a lot of news properties. Mm-hmm. And from what I can remember, we were hired a lot by marketing departments, mm-hmm. not product departments. And the reason why is because at the time, the agency had all the expertise, yeah, and they didn't have all the stuff in house to design and build and all that. They didn't have all these teams built up yet. Mm-hmm. And I have to think now, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but. It seems like in today's world, like if fund sizes work with Connie Nass, we're not going to be working with some marketing team that doesn't know what they're doing. We'll right. be working with the product team. Yeah. Yeah. Working with engineers, people like you, you know, people with design and engin- like all these intersections of things. And so we can't just be doing this thing that people used to do way over here in the middle of left field. Yeah. We have to be like, you know, willing to, you know, work yeah. together on it. Yeah. That's changed a lot even in the time. Uh, so I joined uh, the Tribune in the fall of 2010. Um, and from that time to now, it's, it's changed dramatically. Uh, because then, 
like a, a, a news app, a, a data interactive or something like that would generally be either completely driven by somebody with technical skills. Hey, I found this cool data set. Is there, what interesting can we display with it? Um, or it would be the, okay, we've been reporting this story for the last nine months. Um, there's some data in it that we use to inform the stories we wrote about it, and we think we could, can make a visual on it. Can you do that in the next three weeks? Um, so it was entirely tail end. We've got this done. Let's let's slap a bird on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it, it, that was a brutal cycle to to uh, try to combat. Um, and it, it came from a well-meaning place. Like it, like every shop, um, regardless of size, there's always more work to do than there are people or hours in the day to do it. Um, and when you see people that are busy, you're like, oh, what can I do to help us? Okay, well, I'll just keep this information to myself and then I'll come in with, here's the fully formed solution that I thought of based on the thing I saw last week, not based on what's actually the right choice. Mm. Um, I'm sure, well, I don't know, you all are pretty good at, at uh, selecting your clients. Maybe you don't have this anymore, but I'm sure you've had the clients that come through that are like, hey, we want to do X and here's how we're going to implement it. And you're like, okay, that's great. We're going to take five steps back and mm-hmm. see if we end up in that same space. Right, right. Um, to be aligned on the approach is, uh, you know, it, even if even if they're just sort of like telling it to you, um, and even if you end up agreeing with it, it's still like the rationale needs to be kind of in parallel with both teams. I think, yeah, for sure. Um, you were saying, was that a reference to uh, Portlandia? Put a bird on it. It okay. was. <laughs> Just making sure. I, like, did you say what I thought he said? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, something you're saying too about. Um, to, to riff on the Portlandia reference, though, for just a second, uh-huh. I actually think that that's the outcome that happens a lot of times. Like, uh-huh. When I joined maps, were the thing. Oh, yeah. we've got data that has points we can put on map. Put a map on it. Yeah. Like, I actually think some people printed some shirts that were like uh, a map that's of the a US. Good point. Put a map that's, on it. And. But the end result was just like the end result in that skit. You put a map on it and it doesn't work. Yeah. Everyone is like throwing shit out the door. And it's just like, oh, no, no, no. This was the worst decision ever. Yeah. Man, um, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, specifically the map thing. Because I, I never thought about that. And I think I get a little excited every time there is an opportunity to put a map. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, when it actually and, fits, it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. But there'd be some people. It, I'm trying to think of a good example of something that we had that was bad. Um, but the first question, I mean, this is the first question any designer or developer should almost always ask is, okay, well, why? So you think we should have a map? Why? Um, uh, when I was at the Tribune, Ryan Murphy did a, a map that showed all of the, uh, the wastewater disposal sites for fracking. And like a map is really good at showing that and being yeah. like, oh, wait, look at the concentration of those uh, wastewater sites mm-hmm. here and here and mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Look how um, close it is to where I live. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or uh, when the uh, the chemical plant exploded in West Texas, mm-hmm. um, we went had all of the data on where the uh, the chemical plants that had similar ratings were and how long it had been since they had been inspected. Mm. Like to be able to say, "Oh, look, this is where my kids go to school," and Whoa. there's a plant that could blow up that's a half a mile away. Oh wow! Um, like that that is actually really powerful. But sure. the just random. Um, I don't know, uh, police crime, well, police crime report would be kind of cool, but it actually wouldn't work. The LA Times tried this. Um, the LA Times got all the, the crime report data from the LAPD and was going to make a map. <laughs> Guess where all of the, the crimes were, or the vast, vast majority of crimes were committed? Rich neighborhoods? No. Right across the street from the LA Times. Right across the street from the LA Times was downtown LAPD. 
they would get in and be filling out their form, oh. and it was required to put a zip code on it. They'd put the zip code of orders uh, <laughs> on it every time. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the Dallas data one time, and half the time the location would be something like um, past the the uh, the walnut tree in the empty lot on the 500 block of whatever street. Um, so it's like completely useless. It seems like oh, there's an address field. Let's do something with that. One day you'll be able to plug that into Google Maps, and they'll find that. <laughs> yeah, yes. it is getting closer and closer. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well, I'm excited for your new venture, man. Sounds like yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you are. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, yeah. good luck building your team. Yeah, that's it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm getting to work with a lot of uh, really, really talented people, um, and a lot of folks that I've, I've respected, people that I'm friends with, um, that we know each other through various communities, um, and to have the opportunity to work with all of them at the same time mm. uh, is pretty awesome. It's cool to have a company that's doing things like that here too. I don't yeah. know of anyone else that's doing that. Well, mm-hmm. when I talked to the uh, who's now my boss, um, uh, the VP of Engineering, when I found out this was going on, the very first conversation we had, um, he's like, "Well, what's your interest?" I'm like, "Well, uh, twofold. I might be interested in it depending on like what positions are available here and what you're looking for, um, but more importantly, like I want to know if y'all are how, why are y'all coming to Austin? Like, what's this going to look like? Because I've seen so many companies that come in and like stamp here we've got an office here." Um, and that's their whole goal. I talked to a, a a big company that everyone would recognize a few years ago. They showed up at a local meetup trying to recruit, um, and it was people from the uh, management team um, who were in from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, what brings you to Austin? Oh, the market's really good here. We really wanted to be involved in it, and we couldn't find office space for the team we want to spend up in anywhere in the Bay Area." Yeah. So it was like literally they were going to keep all of the the uh, product and project management out in San Francisco. Those people were already hired and they were looking to hire like 200, 300 engineers here that were just going to be the people. Here's the ticket you implement today. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, that's just such a, uh, an exploitative way of coming to Austin. Yeah. So I see somebody like Condé Nast come in, my radar went up immediately. They're like, yeah. okay, is this going to be the place you send Jira tickets to? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but that was how I started the conversation with, yeah. uh, with Ed. So it was kind of a... Um, He's like, oh no, no, no! This is what we're doing, and it, this That's is actually awesome. part of their, what, their strategy. Can I ask? Do you know, like, why, why Austin then for them? If it's not, you know, the reason that you described earlier, um, what is the reason? They need to expand, um, and expanding in New York or San Francisco, those are saturated mm-hmm. markets. Sure, um, coming to Austin is a good place. There's some interesting media things happening mm-hmm. here. Yeah, um, and <clears throat> and they wanted to try their hand at uh, um, a company that wasn't just uh, in New York. Okay, so it's not just the barbecue; it's other reasons. No, I think the barbecue helps. Bar- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's in, that's very interesting that you bring that up, just because <laughs> like, um, there's <laughs> kind of been a topic. You know, there's things that come uh, attached to the notion of of where you're based, and um, we kind of through the, a journey of just discussing it, kind of realized that it's just changing so much like where you are from and where you work uh the city that you live in like good work can come out of like these non like mecca tech hub places now because well because of a lot of reasons but um yeah it's it's cool that they're you know looking looking elsewhere yeah for sure i'm a big fan of uh Hugh McCloyd um he wrote the gaping void uh blog back in the day he does the uh, a former marketing guy that left New York and went to uh, London and started drawing comics on the back of business cards. That was his 
yeah. uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came uh, of age, as it were, um, as a brand uh, during the Manifesto era, early 2000s. And he wrote the, um, what was it? What do you call it? The Hugh Train Manifesto or something like that. Um, was what he called it, but it turned into his book, uh, Ignore Everybody. Um, and he was talking about um, whether or not you should follow the crowds uh, or not. Hmm. And he was like, the sheep follow the crowds. Like yeah. The sheep in marketing are in New York. The sheep in programming and entrepreneurship point. are in San Francisco. Um, he's like, the, uh, you have to figure out what you want to be. Do you want to be a sheep or do you want to be a wolf? Like, one, The price of one is boredom, the price of another is... Uh, loneliness and like, what do you want to do? Hmm. Um, but I think that's the cool thing about Austin is it kind of has that uh, uh, the perfect blend. It's a good balance right now. That. We'll yeah, see right if it, now we'll see if it stays right. this yeah. way um, yeah. with companies like Condé Nast coming in and opening big offices. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but uh, the the people that are here for the most part have chosen to live in Austin rather than I followed my job to San Francisco. Yeah, right. I followed Absolutely. my job to, mm-hmm. to New York. Good so point. it just gives a totally different vibe. And the people that are here, I, f- I feel, are almost like more. Uh, well-rounded people because there's more to life than just your startup. There's more to life than just design. There's more to life than just programming. Yeah. Um, like, I, like barbecue. barbecue. Like barbecue. <laughs> there is good barbecue. There is good music. Yeah. Um, there's but, Barton Springs pool. Yeah, it's it's great here, but don't don't move here. Don't move. Yeah. We've got enough. Now, the summers are horrible. <laughs> they're they're the worst ever. It's like. Uh, it's what, actually three brutal. months, uh, 110 degrees yeah. with 80% humidity. Yeah. Don't look I, that up to try to verify I that. Could, I think <laughs> I cooked my feet one time walking uh, on the sidewalk barefoot. For, I, I can see that. You could cook your feet. Anyway, don't move here. You could cook your feet. Um, <laughs> the new <we're>, tagline. <laughs> the new tagline. Keep Austin weird. You could burn your feet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Travis, we're about out of time, man. Um, thank you so much for coming here today, uh, especially because I know you're fighting a, fighting a cold, man. Uh, yeah, pre- appreciate you uh, coming over. Um, any uh, Anything you want to leave uh, to people to think about or else even just uh, where can they follow you and look you up and, and see your handsome mug? Uh, <laughs> Uh, if they want to follow me uh, everywhere except for Snapchat, um, get I, on there, man. I am T Swice. No, somebody has T Swice already. Oh, I like went okay. to register. I, I oh, you just, just don't have this consistent hand. Yeah, oh, uh, but I'm T Swice good most uh, everywhere. Snapchat uh, is the one place I'm not. Um, but uh, T Swice good. T Swice good. It's spelled exactly like it sounds. Guy so nice. They named him <laughs> twice. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why I do these things. I always regret it later. Are, I listen to it. I'm like, what am I doing? Are you going to participate in the O. Henry pun off? Um, I up. love going to that, but man, that's a lot of pressure. I've seen some people go out, you know, like, and I'm like, ooh, that would be me. Yeah. Round one. It's, I've, I've never been to one. I'm going to try to. Oh, make it dude, this year. you got to go. There's actually, it's actually right in our backyard too of, okay. of our office. It's right. Um, I've always wanted to go to that. Let's go it's to it. so Let's much go. fun. Yeah, but don't come to Austin. You could burn your feet. <laughs> don't come for the pun off. <laughs> anyway, yeah, follow Travis. Uh, thank you guys very much and. Bye. See you later. Hey, 
thanks so much for listening today. This is Rick. I'm sure you've all heard of Envision. The product is practically synonymous with screen design. We're stoked that Envision is now a sponsor of Hustle. Something we love about Envision is that they are so highly involved in the community. Uh, These guys really care about where design is going, and they support creatives with loads of design resources, uh, UI kits, design process, and interview articles on their blog, which is great for just general inspiration when building products. Aside from being a great prototyping tool, they also have features for project management, creating mood boards and presentations, live collaborative screen sharings, and like a million other useful things. I literally do not have enough time to even list all their features, but they pretty much got what you need. Uh, Bottom line, they don't just want you to be a user. They want to empower you with their tools so that you can do your best work. And I think that's pretty cool. Overall takeaway, if you haven't heard about Envision or haven't checked them out in a while, just play around with their latest features. They have a free trial and a really impressive lineup of industry-leading design and project management tools. Uh, Their homepage is just envisionapp.com. Go check them out. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital product design agency in Austin, Texas that creates delightful, innovative products for mobile, web, and beyond. Visit us on Twitter at FunSize or visit our website at FunSize.co. 